last couple of weeks. So today actually is the first day of spring in New Zealand. Oh, nice. You wouldn't believe the you wouldn't believe the things Luke and I said about you when you were when you couldn't hear us. Oh, I don't blame you. <laughs> my ears weren't bleeding; they were full of blood. <laughs> nice. So uh, good, mate. How long? Uh, this is this now. Is, I can't hear you. Something's gone off again. You can't hear me. Can you hear us, Butch? Yeah, now it's come back on. It okay. Keeps going off. And then it goes dead, nothing, and then now, now you're back on. Okay, good. Well, I think he, they're taping us now, so whenever you're ready. Uh, it, it okay, mate, well, it's all good. Yeah, so. Uh, Can you hear me, boys? What are we up to? Can you hear me? No, you I can't, can't hear you, John. Oh, uh, you can't hear Mark. Okay, so he's trying to. Yeah, no, I can't. I can only hear you come on every now and again. I can't hear another voice. Huh, okay. That's weird. Can yeah. you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what about John? Yeah, you can hear me, I think. Yeah, hear what me? about Mark? Mark, why don't you try and say something? Mark, I, I could see your name has got a microphone with the line through it right now, Mark. Yeah, because I can't hear Mark either. Now. Nothing. I can so, hear you. Uh, yeah, so where, where, where's the problem? I'm not sure. I can't hear Mark, so I don't know what happened there. Yeah. I don't have a muted mic this anymore. Goes, uh, okay, now I hear Mark. I heard Mark there, yeah. yeah it's weird. I can, I can hear you, Mark. Yeah, yeah, I think every now and again we can hear each other, then, then it goes blank for a while, completely blank. We'll work with uh, it. it yeah, we'll just blank. fake it. Yeah, We'll fake it. Because I took my mic off, actually. So okay, I can hear you loud and clear now, Mark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, Here's all, mate. Good. All right. Is, is it Crowther or Crowther? You got it right the first time. Perfect. Crowther. Crowther. Yep. All right. All right. Go ahead. You can bring it back from commercial. Okay. And welcome back, Can Crushers listeners. It is I, the English professor. We are joined today by John Crowther, author of Blood, Sweat, and Cheers, uh, biography of Luke Williams and Butch Miller, and also joining us today is one half of, uh, whether you knew them as the Sheep Herders or the Bushwhackers, we are joined as well by Butch Miller. Gentlemen, this is a real thrill. <laughs> you're looking good, bloody lovely, tell your mother. <laughs> there's no better way to start a podcast than that uh thank you both for coming on let's it's touch on the book a little bit before we get into some road stories maybe from butch okay absolutely tell us everything john how'd you start this the, the kickstarter which the link is in it guys so go ahead back this and buy it well, actually, let's see, about, I want to say 2020, uh, we were a little bit heading into COVID or just getting into COVID ahead of it. And I, I'm pretty close with Luke. Luke and I have known each other for a bit as I've been publishing, as you know, a lot of these wrestling comics. Uh, and Luke reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in doing a prose book um, on the Bushwhackers. Uh, so for people who know me from comics, understand this is not a comic book. Uh, so he reached out to me. I said, I, you know, how could I turn that down? So he connected me with Butch and we decided to go from there. So basically every Wednesday night, like we're doing right now, 
at this time, uh, for about a year, we would do what Butch liked to refer to as our three ways. Uh, and we would get on and we would talk for about two hours. We would just talk wrestling, the history of the sheep herders, the history of the bushwhackers. And even before that, the history of the New Zealand Kiwis uh, is what they were called when they first arrived in Canada. Um, so, you know, so we talked and we just got it all down, put it all together and decided to launch this Kickstarter to give people an opportunity to get in early on the book. Uh, eventually it will be on Amazon, but this gives people an opportunity to get a, a few unique items, such as autographed copies of the book. Uh, we've got a limited edition cover that there will only be 50 numbered copies ever provided to the public. So for collectors, big fans of the sheep herders or the bushwhackers, it's really a good opportunity to grab some unique items that you'll never be able to get anywhere else. Um, as far as uh, your research and what you learned about Luke and Butch, would you say, um, without giving too much away, are they closer to the uh, ruthless, vicious sheep herders we saw uh, in Jim Crockett or the lovable, huggable bushwhackers we saw working for Vince McMahon? Uh, in real life, they are as lovable and huggable as you can get. I mean, honestly, I, I've really become very fond of both of these men. I mean, they are such wonderful human beings. Um, but would I want to get on their bad side after watching some of those old tapes and hearing these stories? No, I wouldn't want to get on their bad side either. But um, but I think in reality, uh, they're a lot closer to the lovable guys that that we know from from the WWE. Boy, you gotta, you've got to remember too that can you guys hear me? Okay, yes, sir. Uh, yeah, uh, you got you got to remember that when we were the sheep herders, um, that was the style that was just starting to develop in those days. And I was, uh, I had a style like that when I started uh, professional wrestling. So uh, Luke, Luke used to, uh, first of all, have a like a gorgeous George type uh, gimmick uh, that he had a lovely gown, that he had the lovely blonde hair and the trim black beard. And um, <laughs> he used to lead me to the ring with a chain around my neck, and I'd be going all crazy and everything. By the time I reached the ring. I was bloody blowing up. It was all right for him. I was chasing people, <laughs> chasing people and running through chairs and everything else. So uh, yeah, that was that's how that all started. And uh, but we wouldn't have even been la we wouldn't have lasted as long as we did with the WWE because all that blood and guts and hard stuff. We used to have to fight our way into the into the uh, arena. We'd have, they'd have to either put out high our cars in the arena, or they'd have to be watched by the police the whole time. We'd fight our way back out of the ring. They'd be waiting for us afterwards. We'd go out. Sometimes they would have got to our cars. And the windscreen would be smashed. The bloody mirrors are smashed. They'd, they'd slash all your tires. <clears throat> and this was constantly right throughout Puerto Rico, through Texas, through Florida, no matter where we went, it got it got really violent, and we were fighting literally for our lives. All those years, uh, all that time in Puerto Rico, they didn't have ringside because of this, and the uh, the guys would be in the dugouts, like the baseball dugouts, uh, watching the matches. And when the end of our match came on, they would come running out, and the spectators would be jumping over the bloody barriers. Uh, and uh, it was a fight, and they would help us fight the fans back into the dugout. So that's how it was. 
So, I mean, uh, you know, we were, we were lucky to survive the time that we were the sheep herders, leave alone with Vince. And then by the time we got to Vince, um, blood was basically a bit of a no-no with the AIDS around and people were getting uh, a little bit, you know, wary of, wary of that and that. And uh, when Vince mentioned, you know, we're going to make baby faces of you, he said, oh, for God's sake. How the hell are you going to do it? And that's what, uh, and, and I jumped up on his, uh, on his desk, never seen him in my life before. And he brought us up to um, Connecticut, flew, flew us up there, business class, limos, the bloody lot, you know. And uh, he took us in there. When he, when he said that, uh, you know, I want you guys aboard, but I'm thinking of your baby faces, it was Luke who had been a booker in quite a few territories. Uh, and, you know, he was used to the other way where you, um, if you are the real bad heel, he would, uh, you know, you would do something and they'd change you to a baby face during a match or whatever. So Luke started doing, you know, talking about that. And I could see on, on Vince's face, I'd never met him before, but I could see on his face that wasn't what he had in mind. So that's when I jumped up on his desk on my hands and knees I had my nose, which is rather big. I'll give you a side profile. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I jumped up. I jumped up on the bloody uh, desk, put the big nose right in this thing. I said, Vince, if you can make uh, baby faces out of these bloody faces, we're in one hundred percent. And 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 uh, and he starts laughing. He says, Well, he said. I've got Jim Duggan, I've got uh, the Macho Man, I've got this guy, that guy. He said, are they good-looking guys? <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 I, don't worry. He said, even with those faces, I know I can make some money, make you guys money. <laughs> so that's, that's how it all started. <laughs> wow. and, uh, and he was right. They were ready for that type of thing there. They were, they they were really were, and and the uh, the 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 bushwhackers really was uh, was the other the other side of my personality. I was always the jokester. I was always like putting refrigerators that are in the hall of hotels in front of Luke's door, and I'd run down to the buddy, I'd run down to the lobby, and I'd ring him up and say, "Mate, there's someone down there wants to see you. You've got to get down here fast." To get out, he couldn't get out the bloody uh, the, the coke machine or the fridge, or, and, and then he'd say, "Jesus, I get pissed off with that." And I said, "He says, why do you keep doing it?" I said, "Because I get response like this. So how can I stop?" <laughs> so, I was, so, I had that. <laughs> so I always had that off the cuff sort of. Uh, my old man was a mad Northern Irishman, and uh, drank a bottle of whiskey in night, so you can imagine how I was brought up, so he had that sense of humour. So that's where that it sort of developed from there. And uh, Fitz let it go. He didn't – we thought that he would – he said he wanted something between, um, I think it was the uh, the Moondogs and the Wild Samoans. So well, yeah. how can you get something in between that? And the first uh, few weeks that we went around up in the New York area, it was around Christmas time after we had done the vignettes, and they were having this 
uh, a fan would give us a beer to drink to the ring, and they had us coming in separate ways. And I could see that wasn't working. One of us would be coming down through the bleachers. One would be coming somewhere else. They kept switching the cameras, and it wasn't. And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, I said to uh, one of the book, one of the bookers, I forgot which one it was. Just let us come in together, please. So let us come in together. I started marching because I I walk a funny style anyway. I was born with really screwed up feet. I was born up, born with what they call club feet. And then today they can fix them when you're three or four years of age. You can have an operation and they're they're right. But in those days, they didn't really know what what to do. The same surgeon worked on your neck on your finger, on your knee, on your foot. They weren't specialised, you know what I mean? So I had surgery when I was six, but anyway, and a couple more, but they were never successful. They were always a funny shape. Tally Blanchard used to say, Jesus, Butch, you've got the ugliest ankles I've ever seen. And I said, really? What gives you the fucking first clue? You know what I mean, Jesus? <laughs> Even a blind man could have told me that. <laughs> so, so I walked. I walked a little funny anyway. I exaggerated that, swung my arms a bit. The next time we went out, I saw the people uh, swinging their arms were on the same show, but we were doing another tape, and they were already swinging their arms. I said to Luke, "Swing your fucking arms, mate." He said, "I can't. I got a sore shoulder." I said, you want to make money? And Luke loves money. He says, oh, yeah. I said, swing those bloody arms, mate. All those arms went out. As high as I've ever seen. They nearly done the bloody series, mate. And away we went. From then on, uh, that was it. And, and, you know, people would recognize us by that. They would say, oh, you're the guys that swings the arms. And they knew the march off by hand. And if they saw one of us, out with our wives on a red day off, they'd say, oh, like to me, where's Luke? Like he's supposed to be here in my back pocket. And they'd say the same thing, you know. They didn't expect one of us to be separated from the other at any time, airports, no matter where you were, it was the same thing. So, uh, yeah, so those, those little uh, character things that we did at the very start, those vignettes, they helped to show the people that here's two sort of crazy Kiwis uh, coming in here. They didn't know the style we were going to wrestle then, nor did we. We just had to work things out. But um, we knew that we we were going to, and we were lucky too, that Crocodile Dundee film had just uh, been in the States. And that was the most successful overseas uh, uh, film at that time ever to be uh, shown in the United States. And so that was still in their mind too. So that definitely helped. So the time was right for the characters that, that we, we became. So we had a bit of luck there too. You had to. And the guys, the guys we were working with were, were great, you know. So they all, they, it all helps. You helps. brought up that you came in as the Kiwis in Canada first. You, guys, yeah. I can't was, you came in 
that you said you you were the Kiwis first? I can't hear a thing. Butch, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I can't. Okay, so Mar- Mark Mark is asking. Mark is saying that you came in as the Kiwis initially uh, in Montreal with yes. the Vachans. Is that yes, an offensive term? Was that an offensive term or or not? The Kiwis, no, New Zealand. Ki- no, no, it is not. No. No, the, the kiwi is our national bird, just like yours is the nice. golden eagle. And and uh, a lot of people around the world call us uh, kiwis. You know, like um, the Aussies are called kangaroos, basically. And that's not <laughs> offensive to them. And the kiwi bird, it wasn't offensive. In fact, it's, uh, it's, it's you know, it, it's, it makes you feel like they know a little bit about New Zealand. So it wasn't offensive, no. Whose idea was the um, the sardines, the fish, when you guys were uh, working for Vince McMahon? You guys would eat the fish right out of the cans. Oh, that, yeah, that was mine because, one, <laughs> I knew Luke didn't like them, and, two, I, I liked to eat sardines. I loved them, and I knew the smell of them I would get a reaction out of uh, some people. And so they worked on that, and, uh, and that, that was out of any uh, sickly, bright idea that came out like that. You can guarantee it came from me. Luke was <laughs> more like the, uh, yeah. he was more refined. <laughs> buddy, buddy, Luke, Luke, Luke could be any character, really, because he was that type of guy. He could play in a movie and he could, he could play all different parts and he would do it uh, really well and be successful at it. Was very good at copying things, very good at, at changing characters. I can't. I, I I basically can bend it a bit, but I can't be go out there and act like I'm gay or act like I try, but everyone just laughs at me. And I said, "What's the matter? Why can't I do that?" Because you do, <laughs> Butch. Butch. Yeah. Like like yeah. like Butch said earlier, uh, back in 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 New Zealand, you know, Luke's initial character was. Uh, uh, sweet Teddy Williams, and he yes, would come yeah, out and, yeah. and like an effeminate character. It was kind of like a mix of Gorgeous George, maybe a little uh, uh, what was this? What was his name? Rick the Model Martell. He would come out spraying perfume on everybody and in the air. That yeah. was that was Luke's yeah. initial initial character. And of course, Luke's not here, but Luke started wrestling. If you can believe this, at the age of sixteen, his first match yes. at the age of sixteen. <laughs> And he wasn't a heavyweight. He was uh, he was a light heavyweight. I, I don't remember his weight, but he wasn't very heavy. In fact, even as the Kiwis, he wasn't very heavy. He would eat and eat and eat and not put on weight. He had no fat on him, but he but he used to hit the gym all the time. But he but he was actually very lean, you know. And he used to be called and when he started in New Zealand, his first three or four years, he was called what they call a light heavyweight. Uh, which was a, which was a, a smaller division, and uh, he was actually quite conscious of that when we first teamed up. And I used to say, "Who cares? It doesn't matter." And he actually, as that gorgeous George, uh, gorgeous Teddy Williams, he got more heat because of his size. But just the average bloke in the uh, crowd wanted to have a go at him, and that was the problem. <laughs> And Butch and Butch was the opposite. Butch was known as the the chest miller. Uh, Butch was a bodybuilder. 
the Irish sugar. Mariners as uh, uh, Butch the Chest Miller. Yeah. Well, actually, it wasn't Butch then. It was Bob the oh. Chest Miller. Yeah. Yeah, because when I was about 17, I was a skinny kid too. Burton about Luke's Mill, maybe skinnier. And uh, when I started weight training, because I did it because I had another surgery on both of my feet and I joined the gym to try and uh, get them moving a little bit and, uh, you know, make me a bit mobile, uh, which worked uh, to a certain extent. It got me around, got me through all this. But uh, yeah, what were we talking about then? Oh, we're talking about yeah. your bodybuilding. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the bodybuilder, yeah. And so I started, uh, I got, you know, like really involved, not involved, but I got into it. And I entered the contest uh, because they all talked me into it. And I felt like a bloody idiot. I didn't know how to pose. I wasn't into the mirrors and into myself like that. But anyway, I got second in, uh, in this Mr. Wellington uh, bodybuilding uh, contest. And they put my picture up on the wall with all these bodybuilders. Each one had won it. They put it up on there and they put mine on there. And I looked like the runt of the gym. And I was always embarrassed about it. I'd, I'd hide it and I'd find it and put it back up again. <laughs> but that no, wasn't bad. But no. so that, that's where I started training. Then what, what happened? I did a lot of heavy bench pressing and heavy pullovers. And I built, because I was young, 17. I built my rib cage right out, so I had this big, big. Uh, I went from a sunken chest, like a pirate's uh, uh, son, to a um, to, to to this big bulging uh, rib cage, but nothing on it. I had no no chest on it, no meat, no muscle. So my mates used to all rib me about my bloody uh, my bones on my chest sticking out, and uh, and then I um, then I developed. The muscle around it, so it's a good way to do it when you're young, to be honest with you. But that's how they wouldn't do that today. But that's that's how it was because when I started weight training, the same as Luke, we didn't know nothing about training in New Zealand. No one knew anything. The only thing you had as a machine was a bench press because you lifted it up off the off the bench, same as a squat rack, and you'd do bench presses and you'd. The bar would be all over the place and you'd lift your bum right up in the air. And, uh, we were probably doing more damage to our uh, bodies <laughs> than what we were doing good. You know, we'd be screaming. <laughs> anyway, it took me years and years to uh, learn the bodybuilding. I'm still learning it and I love it. I, one thing I, uh, I, I became, I, I always went to the training. And Luke did too. Luke was a good trainer too. The only trouble was that it was hard for him to get me out of there. Uh, I'd always say, oh, just 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes. You know? and, <laughs> and, but no, he became a good uh, And he had his own gym there a long time in Florida. And yep. he still goes to the gym, still looks great. So it's good. And, yeah, and it kept me alive. I mean, I, I nearly died with septicemia twice now once in the States, once in New Zealand. And they said the only reason why you survived both uh, heavy attacks was because your uh, your body was in good shape. So I was lucky really in that sense. Yeah. 
were you able to watch much uh, American wrestling while you were in New Zealand or, or anything from, say, England? No, we, we had a few uh, English guys come out. But when we started wrestling, um, TV only came to New Zealand when um, I was 16. Uh, that's when it came to New Zealand, just about 1960, uh, 1960s, yeah, 1959 or 60. And it came in black and white, one channel. It came on at um, uh, 5.30 at night, and it went off at 9. Top Cat wow. was the top program. Top Cat. And that was it. <laughs> and then it was a couple more years, and then they extended the uh, the, the 9 o'clock late 39 to 10. Then we went up to 11. And, oh, wow, we can watch TV up to 11 o'clock. And then uh, they got another channel. But we, but wrestling was never on TV, never seen on New Zealand TV until I would say um, in the in the uh, 80s. So we hadn't seen wow. Americans. And most of the wrestlers who came out uh, to wrestle in New Zealand were English. So we grew up more with an English style. You couldn't throw a fist, you had to throw elbow jolts. And we had to wrestle in a, uh, the police used to require you to take a permit out uh, if you were the promoter. And the ring had to be a certain size, which uh, that measure with a bloody tape measure and all that shit. And it had four ropes like a boxing ring. And the bottom of it was like uh, hitting the bloody uh, the concrete, you know, no bounce or anything. And that's what we wrestled in for, for um, until uh, when Luke and I went away. We'd still only been in the ring like that. We hadn't been, well, I went to Australia and Luke did on separate occasions for Jim Barnett, who was a promoter who went over to um, Australia. American promoter, and he did excellent in Australia because Australia was way ahead of New Zealand for wrestling talent and for TVs. They had, you know, four or five channels in Australia at that time. So they were, they've always been way ahead. The population has always been way bigger. So, you know, and so I, how- I basically learned my craft more in that um, three months, in you know, four months in uh, Australia that I did. And Jim Barnett didn't want me to come back. But my first uh, daughter, Sharon, uh, who was born in 69, she was about to uh, get laid. You know, she was only just, just about to hatch. And I kept on putting my wife, says, you've got to come back. I've got to come back. In the end, I came back and luckily, my wife was overdue by two weeks or so I had had it. And Jim Barnett wanted me to go straight back over there, but hell, I had a, a brand new daughter and I was so excited. So I, I, I didn't go back for him at that stage, but I, uh, I, I did go back later. But I learned a lot. And I learned a lot of a guy, uh, an Indian guy who uh, worked in um, Toronto. And his name was Tiger Jeet Singh. And they had, uh, they brought him in there. And he was a very, very successful 
uh, heel. And and he used to say to me, if you're out of the ring and you see something, pick it up, slam him into it. So he, he brought that out of me, looking for objects to use to get extra heat. And he had tremendous heat in, in, in Australia. And they had, he had good guys to work with, like Mark Lewis and King Curtis and Mario uh, Milano and uh, some great American names. And Jim Barnett was selling out all the major cities in Australia. And that was, uh, that was you know, really good. Whereas in New Zealand, we were working to very small crowds. And, and, and most of the smaller towns never even had anything bigger than like uh, four or 500 people that you could fit in there. So it's a totally different thing. How about the 1986 Crockett Cup? Can't hear you, you. Matt. All right. So I'm going to translate the 1986 Crockett Cup, when the Sheep Herders fought the Fantastics and they lost before they were going to the Road Warriors. John, I can't hear Matt. He was, but you was asking you about the uh, the Crockett Cup when you guys faced uh, what was it, the Fantastics? Oh yeah, okay, yeah. The, uh, I'm even getting a bit of um, interference with you now too, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, the Fantastics in the middle Atlantic, um, and uh, they they were great. They the the promoter the promoter from um, the Booker from uh, Dallas, Texas, came came in there, and he took over. They asked Luke if he wanted to do it. And Luke said, no, I want to have a break from it because we had just come from Puerto Rico. And he had the book there while we were there for nearly a year. And, you know, it was blood and guts and he was working his, his butt off. So I don't blame him, uh, you know, turning it down. And I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't then and I wasn't during my time and I'm not now a good businessman or a booker at all. I'm just the guy that does the stuff in the ring, you know. I could give my suggestions. Sometimes that'd be okay. But I, I, I just couldn't get sit down and ring guys and put a pencil and paper. I still can't. And um, so he turned it down. So they, they brought the booker in from Dallas. And Luke, if he was on this program now with you, he'd say it's the only thing he regretted in his mm -hmm. whole uh, wrestling career was turning down that book because if we had had the book, we would have been over to um, he or he would have, but with you know a little bit of help, we would have been able to run that territory and really have made some bigger money and and uh, better business. Even though we we sold out different parts of that old Midwest with the Fantastics. Uh, Week after week after week, we had something like 30 odd uh, barbed wire, uh, barbed wire cage matches, 32 or 33 in a row every night. Our heads and bodies were like shredded cabbage. And I've got to give it to those Fantastics. They never complained. They weren't big guys, but they never complained. They always fought, you know, you'd say, fight back, fight back. And they always fought back, and uh, they were very, very good for us to work with, really. 
and um, and uh, so we we went around with them for I would say a good six months, but I wasn't I wasn't happy with what Bill was paying us, and he was he was putting on many as they used to do in those days. He would come on with somebody when it built up to a big thing and put himself on the main event. And of course, we would still be wrestling last, and he would he would take the the main event money or whatever. And you know, by this time, we had learnt a little bit about money, and you know, and um, we weren't as gullible. Well, I wasn't anyway. Luke was never gullible with money, but I used to be. And uh, so anyway, I um, I just said to Luke, uh, we 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 had Bill up for money. And he said, no, no. And I said, okay, I'm finished. And oh, oh, Jesus. He, he called me. Went around. I wouldn't even talk to him. I said, no. And he offered me, he offered me an extra, this is this is no joking in those days, an extra thousand dollars a day if I would do it. Now, whether I would have got that all the time, but I wouldn't have gone to the ring without it. He would have tried to work some way to screw me. But I said, mate. Why weren't you giving us even half that extra each night when we were making all that money for you? We didn't see it, so I wouldn't talk to him. So we went off after that, and uh, Luke was prepared to go back and work for him. I, I said, absolutely no. I'm, not, I'm never going to work for that guy again. He's the only promoter that, that we, or I especially, ever walked out on the only promoter ever. And we went to Florida for Florida Championship Wrestling and uh, and, and had a good run there uh, for a while to, until Crockett's took over, <coughs> took over Florida and a few other territories. And I forgot what it was called. Luke would know, but I forgot what he named it. And then Crockett signed us up. When uh, when you were working for, when when you guys were working for Jim Crockett Promotions, I remember one specific promo that uh, you and Luke did where you brought out a drawing of um, a bathroom or a toilet, and you said the Road Warriors were in the toilet, and you made fun of everybody, and you called out you called out the Four Horsemen, the Road Warriors, um, and it showed first of all you guys had a great sense of humor, but. It also whetted our appetites for some matches that we never really got. Um, why didn't we uh, see, you know, the heel versus heel? Why didn't we see you against Arn and Tully or against the Road Warriors and Jim Crockett? Well, what happened? What happened was we we were the first heel tag team when we were in um, in Texas working for Joe Blanchard. We were the first uh, heel tag team to ever work against the Road Warriors um, in a place. Uh, there, was the, uh, there was a place that, oh, God, they, it was in Texas there, and they had a lot of problems with it. It was a, a religious-type place, and they had, to, um, they had to storm the place. Do you remember that? Was it Waco, Texas? In, in Texas. Probably in Waco, uh, yeah. Probably Waco. Yes, Waco. Well, we had this night in Waco, and we were booked against them the first time ever. They brought them in from Atlanta. They were hot in Atlanta, running over everybody. 
And Joe Blanchard had this thing. He was bringing in tag teams, supposedly, to, to, to beat us and run us out of Texas. And we were at the peak. We were, we were filling up all the arenas, and no matter who they were putting us with, really. So anyway, in Waco, they brought in the Road Warriors, who had, they already had a year or so exposure on the Lancer TV. And um, we went and saw them in the dressing room, and they said, oh, you know, that was the first time we'd ever met them. And they said, oh, well, obviously you guys are going to be uh, – We'll we'll be turning you guys uh, uh, babyface. And I piped up to Hawk. And I said, oh, I don't think so, mate. I think it's (laughs) going to be the other way around. I think you guys are going to be babyface. He said, don't be stupid. We're on that bloody, uh, you know, NBA, whatever it was. And uh, so I just didn't say anything. So we get the bat sorted. We go out there. After about five minutes... Hawk is so blown up that he's leaning over the ropes, spewing, and all this spew is coming out of his mouth. And the TV camera's picking it up. And, 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 and uh, Animal won't tag him in because Animal's all blown up. And Luke and I, the crowd wanted lynches, and the, and the road warriors didn't know what to do because the crowd was cheering so much for them, they didn't know how to handle it. You know, it was so funny to see. And I knew that would happen because we had, we had you know, we had uh, stormed Texas and taken it, you know, and they loved their TV and text their, text their, Texas, their TV that it was on. So they never forgot that. And Hawk and I, Animal was good too, and Hawk and I became... Really, really close friends. And he always used to say, Butch, when I retire, I want to buy a place just by you. I want you my next-door neighbour. And we're going to mow the lawns. And after we mow the lawns, we're going to have a bear over that fence. And we're going to talk about old times. And he used to say it over and over again. And, And one time we're working in the ring and he and one of us said something and I've got to say and I always say sweet ass you see so he hears a sweet ass he thinks I've said sweet ass so he says what do you mean sweet ass this is in the ring I said I'm not saying sweet ass I'm saying sweet ass well it took him a while to get it well we both started laughing with our hands over our heads in the ring, you know. But they were uh, Hawk. I liked a lot. He was more natural. Animal was um, a little bit more on the vain side, but still a good guy. And they were a bloody good tag team. They were a good gimmick. But they never had to break into the business like Luke and I did or like most of the other wrestlers did they were pushed right from the start before they even knew how to wrestle because they both had the bodies and they were you guys in Atlanta when they first started off in Atlanta and running over the TV guys who was just giving them their bodies they were hurting guys 
real bad, you know? And uh, they didn't really even care because they didn't understand. They didn't know that side of the business, you know? Because they had never been hurt. Guys were too scared to, to give them a crack. Well, if they did something in the ring those early days when they worked with us, I gave them a little crack, you know, just to let them know, hang on, this is how it goes. <laughs> that's how I look at the business. And, you know, and that's what you do. And that's how it was done. And so they, they were cool. I wish they had a farm. I wish they had a had a run in uh, in with Vince as uh, uh, heels uh, with us, and I really do think we could have made Vince some very good money. But Vince was funny with he was like his dad. Tag teams, he very rarely would ever put a tag team as a main event in a pay per view or something big. He would put two top guys together, like The Rock and, uh, you know, um, or, or some, you know, another uh, star. But as a tag team, he very rarely ever did that in a paper. He put them on the card and put them up a bit. But the one thing he did with Luke and I, no matter where we were on the card, after we'd been working there for about a year or 18 months, we were always the last match. He would do his angles with the main event. Uh, the match, he'd usually get a match going after after the mission to get the people going again. Then he'd bring on the main event and he would do it, especially if it was a screw job. They'd do the screw job. The people would be really pissed off. And then he'd have another match, quick match. Then we would come marching out with our music. The people were just about to leave. They'd sit down again. Now they're <laughs> yep. cheering it. Then they'd go home, and we called it the happy pattern. We sent them home happy when they left, when they left the arena. All they could talk about, they'd forgotten about the screw. That they got reminded on TV, of course, but they forgot about that. They just remembered that last thing they'd seen. They loved it and they went, Oh, what a night! What a night, you know? And they were in a happy mood. So that was a good idea. But the only trouble was we had to be there from 7 30 at night because you had to be there half an hour before it started. And we were the last ones to bloody leave. Madison Square Gardens, and that they had to take us out, hiding us in ambulances, and taking us all around New York, and dropping us off somewhere uh, in New York where we'd park the car, because we had to. They wouldn't let us out. They'd start rocking the rocking the ambulance and that, not to wreck it like they did when we were heels, but just to, because they were cheering and happy. Wow! So that was the difference there. Yeah, you guys held titles just about. God, I'm sorry. No, no, but Vince, uh, he he did look after us, and uh, we enjoyed every minute of that uh, WWF time. And uh, and you know, I I I got to love Vince. To be honest with you, everything he said, he he did. I mean, you've got to realize a lot of the guys 
when they were giving their marching orders. Of course, they didn't like it. But there was a lot of talent around then, as you know. I mean, we were there when they had, you know, all that absolute talent when we got there from just before we got there. And after for about another year or so, the amount of talent they had, it was all the, um, all the top talent from all the top uh, territories and all that worked main events and all knew how to work. And uh, it was incredible. Now, I mean, you can see they're struggling. It's not the guy's fault. They've got nowhere they can learn their craft or learn their trade. And that, that was the beauty of the whole uh, of the whole thing. And, and, you know, I mean, God, I could name, uh, if, um, if, if my memory was a little bit sharper, I could sit here and name 30 guys who you guys would know straight away. And you say, oh, great, he was great, this guy. You know, the Randy Savages, the Hulk Hogan's, the Boss Mass, the, the, you know, and uh, it goes on and on, Shawn Michaels, Hitman's, and the... It goes on and on and on, yeah. And uh, they, they now today, I, I don't honestly uh, watch it at the moment, but now and again it's on when I flip, and I'll watch something if I know someone. But it's getting there because <laughs> I'm nearly a hundred. I'm getting there. It's getting that way where I don't know many people on it now, which is natural, you know. Would you so have liked the title run? Huh? Would you have liked a, a title run in the WWF? Would Would you and Luke have liked maybe to have been uh, tag team champions one time? Yeah, well, yeah, well, I, I think that's what you said. The title match, the yeah. titles didn't really worry us because one, it would have had to go around the waist, and the Bushwhackers marching with a belt <laughs> around the waist wasn't really uh, Vince's idea. And also, too, we had a program going with um, the Million Dollar Man and the IRS, one of the best tag teams that we worked for. And unfortunately, we went to England with that angle. They were going to drop the belts to us in England, and we were coming back with them. And IRS, uh, uh, Million Dollar Man, fell in a little bit of uh, family he had to rush back the first night uh, back, back to uh, uh, the States. And so we couldn't do that. He, he had gone. They put someone else with Mike Rotundant. So we just had to have normal matches. And there was another time when uh, uh, Ali Blanchard and um, well, what was his name? Uh, Arn. His, his partner. Arn Anderson. Remember his name? Arn Anderson. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, and, and uh, they, they, that was the same thing. And one of them got hurt, so we couldn't carry on with that program. You know, so, you know, we had times where they were prepared to do it, but it had, it had to be right. You know, why? I used to say to even Axel Jim Duggan, he says, Butch, he's another good mate of mine, very close mate. And he used to say, Butch, look at me. I've got the flag. I've got the, the, the throne. I've got the bloody crown on my head. I've got the cape. I've got three belts. What more are they going to give me? 
He said, I even forget to do that. Ho! And he got that <laughs> off. Really good. Because I was <laughs> the one that used to go, oh, okay. And then, then you know, and then Luke started doing it. But, and so he says, what, what are they going to get me next? I'll be taken out of the bloody chicken and Jake snake. You know? <laughs> he, it was just too bad. He didn't need it. You know, there's, there's some things that people need. Some wrestlers need the belts. And, um, and you were talking about Mid-South. When they bought the, um, the, uh, the guy, the two guys in, uh, the, um, <clears throat> oh, I'm losing it now, the Fantastic in, uh, even though they were great fighters and this and that, we got over quite strong very fast because we were working with uh, Williams, Doc Williams, and Ted DiBiase, one man gang, and we were just rushing over them as well. And so the booker said, and I and I had to believe him too. He said they're not going to believe it unless they sneak over you somehow with the belts, and then you are chasing them because they're not going to believe that they are going to get a beacher every night. And you know because that's just the way. It was portrayed, and that was the right way. So they took the belts off us. We dropped the belts more or less the first time we ever were with them, some way, I don't know. And um, and they had them so we could do, you know, all dirty things at the end, get disqualified, win the match, but then they were still the champs. So And that worked. That's why it worked, because they weren't big guys. And, you know, and uh, but... Uh, they they had a, they showed a lot of guts and fortitude, and I've got to give them credit for working the sheep herder style and doing it well. Never complained. They'd get the odd potato the same as we did. Never complained. You know they'd get the odd flag over their head, which shouldn't have been quite so hard. Never complained. So you know, and they're the guys you want to work with. Because you're not out there to kill each other. You've got to go home to your wife. You've got to go home to your kids. You've got to work the next day and make money, put food on the table. But the younger guys that come in now, they don't realise that. They want to go up the top rope and come up and drop a knee over your bloody neck, right? And, um, and you're supposed to lay there. And some of them have never done it before. So that slammed me and they say, stay there. I say, oh, okay, this is a better green, right? <laughs> Up they go to the top rope. I was gone before they took off, for God's sake. I was over <laughs> the other side of the ring. They were popping the bloody knee on my throat and practicing on me. You know, I've, I've seen knees go right through guys' sternums. I've seen guys die in the ring, being killed in the ring. And it's easy. You know, it happens. Shit happens. you got big, huge guys. Uh, I'm not talking about me or Luke, but big guys, 300-pound uh, plus, were flying around like we used to when we were 200 pounds. And athletes, top athletes, well, one slip, one slip on the rope, one adjustment somewhere, and anybody can make a mistake, even the experienced guys. But at least at least you've got a chance with them. 
the other guys, they want to do everything in the first minute. They're throwing each other outside the ring. They're doing this tremendous dive out through the ropes, knocking over two guys, getting back in the ring. What, what more do you want? You've already bumped two guys out of the ring. Why should they get in if you only got one there? And then they want to do everything at once. So, you know, but it's not their fault because that's how a lot of them have learned by watching what's on. And that, unfortunately, is the only way. And you've got a few good um, training schools out there, luckily. I can't name them all because I don't name them. I don't know them, but some of my mates are training and training uh, guys real well because they were great workers and that must help them, but they don't have enough time. They're out there in the middle of the WWE ring with, you know, basically a year's experience at the moment. You can't learn our business in a year, you know, unless you're extremely, extremely talented or have an extremely great uh it going for you, I guess. A uh, couple of more questions for you. I think I may know the answer yeah. to this because you guys seem to have a great sense of humor, but uh, talk for a second about the Royal Rumbles. It may have been you. It may have been Luke. I think actually it was Luke where he came in, earthquake grabbed him, threw him out, and he set the world's record for four seconds 3. in a 9. Royal Rumble. 3.9 oh. seconds, Mark. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, oh, you guys okay with that sort of thing? Did you have a sense of humor about it? I have never... I just got you. I'm having a job understanding you now too, uh, uh, just a little, because it's echoing. But I remember that as plain as that. And when Vince said, oh, you know, told me when I was going out there, and then he said to Luke, um, oh, Luke, I want, you know, I only want you in there for a couple of seconds. That was my idea for him to march out. And he was, I could see Luke felt a bit strange, like, you know, why should I just go in there and then, go straight out and you feel of it, you know. At least give me a few minutes or something. And I'm saying, yeah, yeah, because I knew I was going to be in there for 15 minutes and I'd be blowing <laughs> up. And, and he'd he be as fresh as a daisy. So anyway, and then I said, mate, why don't you do this? I said, go in the march down, get in the ring, have someone meet you as you're coming through the ropes. Take you across the road and like with your body your pants and you scrub your neck. Keep your arms swinging. Go out that side and march around. Well, they talked about that for 15 bloody 20 years. They're still talking about it. Me, I was fucking sweating my ass off, trying to look busy, working like hell, throwing punch after punch, and, and then thinking, that bloody Luke, that bloody Luke, he's back in the dressing room. And here am I, working my butt off, blah, blah, blah. And then when it came payday, it was a, we both got the same money. I'd <laughs> <laughs> <might> go off. <laughs> I've never uh, let him forget it. <laughs> he had to shout the beers for the next three months. <laughs> and I thought that's that was a, <laughs> yeah. so um, that's how was that a, happened. <laughs> they had it as a they had it as a highlight, I believe, on on the probably. WWE. For Absolutely. Him, yeah. Yeah. Not me. They didn't give a shit about me. They had him doing the match and, and marching <laughs> back to the dressing room. <laughs> uh, there was a, was a Survivor Series. You teamed up with Men on a Mission, but you guys were all dressed up as doinks. 
Yeah. Oh, uh, were they the Dorks, were they? Yeah, it was you, you yeah, guys and know. then Mabel and Moe. You guys were all dressed up as Doink the Clown. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I, I don't really remember. I, I remember them being there. I don't, I don't remember much about the men on the mission. Those men on the mission came to San Antonio as under another name. They, um, this was before, of course, WWE. And they came there and they worked against Luke and I, one of the first guys to come in and uh, to, to drive us out of San Antonio, out of Texas, to get rid of us. Well, like, we had about three matches. We had a normal match. Then we had uh, a pole match. We had some, then we had a barbed wire cage match as the final. Outside, I think it was in Austin, sold out. There was a few other uh, people that bring them for the card to make the card look good. Well, we, these, they were called, I know what they're called, the Zamburi Express. That's what they called themselves then, the Zamburi Express. Well, because they got their hands raised in those first couple of shows, and because um, there, there was a hell of a crowd at this, this place, they don't want to do the job there. Fine. They were huge guys, don't get me wrong. They were 400 pounders or something. But it wasn't about that. It was about we made them look extra special. Now it's our time and our type of match, the uh, barbed wire cage match, to, you know, to, to take care of business. Oh, no, they think it's them that's drawn the crowd. They think it's only them that's, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I said, look, don't worry about it, mate. Jesus. Anyway, uh, we ended up pinning one of them. I don't know. I, I did some bloody thing where I shouldn't have. I told the referee to count, which he did. I didn't get into trouble for it. Well, boy, did they want to kill me. Um, this and that, and that, that, that they were the only ones, uh, possibly, that I've ever had that trouble with in, um, in the whole wrestling uh, years, except a little bit of time in India when we went to India and worked for independent promotions. And a lot of those Indian guys uh, would cry absolutely cry if they had to do a job. Cry. No matter how it was done. No matter how it was done. You could make them look like Superman. They still weren't, they still weren't happy. They'd prefer to go in there, not get paid. Don't care how it's done as long as they got their hand raised. So they were in for a bit of a shock as well. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that was another time, another place, India. We 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 did go back to India with Vince, and it was a totally different place then. Mark and I saw you uh, saw the Bushwhackers um, in a small Pennsylvania town. wasn't the World Wrestling Federation. It was after you had left. Um, small crowd. Still, you guys were a lot of fun. Tell us about life. After the WWF, what wrestling was like? Were you still living in the States and working in the States? 
I'm getting such an echo that I really, really can't hear what you actually said. Could you repeat uh, it, John? Because sure. I might hear you. Yeah, Butch, I'm he was. An echo. <coughs> yeah, Butch, can you hear me? Huh? Can you hear me? No, I'm no, I'm not. I'm just getting that. I'm getting an echo like I had um, last week, John, where I can't okay. understand the words. Could you try um, try try someone else with a different mic or something? John, yeah. John was wanting to know what it was like to wrestle outside of WWE. Did you need to mute my mic? No, you're back on. Can you hear us? Unmute. You're muted. Yeah, he's muted his mic, I think. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Yeah, I've got mine on now. I heard that. Who, t who spoke then? Me. It, what it wasn't like after WWE. No, I can't hear it. Butch, can you hear me? I can hear you with an echo. Okay, well, here, I'll say what he asked. Mark asked, what was life in wrestling like after the WWE, when you and Luke were wrestling in the independence? Oh, well, after the WWE, uh, we were very lucky that Vince still kept us reasonably strong on TV. He never, uh, Atlanta wanted us to go there and offered us a deal. And Vince wouldn't release us because we we're under contract to Vince. And Luke was raring to go. He wanted to go no matter what. And Vince said, listen, he said, are we going to use you guys? He said, the way it is now, they'll try and make fun of you. They'll use you, and they'll just bloody throw you out. And he said, I don't want to see you do that. So he, for, for the first couple of years that we weren't working for the WWE, he paid us a salary, um, a living salary each week for, I would say, two or three might even be four years, um, and uh, kept us going and let us do, let us do the spot shows as well. So I've got to give him credit for that because he knew what WCW would have done, would have tried to do to us. Uh, yeah, I I can see it as well. And uh, and so when we first started doing the independence, we couldn't believe it because we went from the most professional wrestling organization that ran the most professional wrestling shows that I have ever, ever seen uh, from in those days and, and today. And they ran that and here we went into some of these Catholic halls, Boy Scouts halls or that, and, you know, nothing wrong with it. But the guys couldn't work. They all had, they, they all had gimmicks. 
And a guy would come up to me with a mask on, a T-shirt, covered up, because they didn't have good bodies. And they'd say, oh, how do you like my gimmick? And I'd look at them, and Luke would look at them, and say, oh, well, what's your gimmick? And they'd say, oh, I'm so-and-so. And I say, well, what's the gimmick in that? You know? Anyway, and then we'd go and watch their matches. Oh, my God. Now, it wasn't their fault because they didn't know any different. But it was, it, it was very, very bad. It was even worse than when um, we were wrestling in New Zealand, hadn't seen wrestling on TV, but knew the basics from the English guys who were coming out there. So anyway, but um, there were some spot shows that, that, that were run professionally, and were bigger, and you could see them night and day. And then the more, the more guys that WWE released, the um, the better the shows were, because there was more of them landing in the shows. And so we we were very lucky that the people um, still loved us no matter what, and we had them cheering for us the whole time. And then we, we went and we thoroughly enjoyed this. I don't know if you guys know this, but we went and worked um, for your um, uh, armed services uh, in, in, in the United States. I still have my card, it's like a driver's license, that, that it says, uh, you know, uh, armed services, blah, 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 uh, Butch Miller. Um, bushwhacker, and that was our pass on to, we could go on to nearly any barracks around the place, and we went and entertained the troops uh, in, in all around Alaska and different parts of the Carolinas. Then we went into Japan, did a lot of shows in Japan, Korea, and, um, and South, we, uh, South, um, uh, and the uh, anyway, we did we you know, just off just off the Bahamas, we did a lot of stuff all over this for them and their bases, and that was just tremendous. Now they were guys and women, of course, who, who watched us in the states when they were there, when we were having a little push in WWE, so. When we came to their, you know, their barracks or wherever they were based, they just absolutely loved us. I mean, the only ones who they loved better than us was the women's match, because boy, did those guys scream <laughs> when the woman came on! You can imagine, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was funny, but oh, that! But we really loved that, and we did a lot of tours of um, all over the place. Um, uh, Kuwait as well was another one uh, a few other places Saudi Arabia, that was the one I was trying to think of they had, we had a base uh, you guys had a base in there and it was just tremendous entertaining those troops and seeing them get off on the um, on us, you know, being there and entertaining them that was a lot of fun I'd give anything to, to do that again if I had my time and then, I don't know if you know this, 
But when we were working for Grand Prix as the Kiwis um, and as heels, we worked in a few Canadian state prisons around uh, that place. And they would bring us into the state prisons. And, of course, we would get searched and and everything else. And uh, we'd put on matches for the prisoners. And uh, that uh, Vashon woman, uh, Luna Beverly. Uh, oh, she anyway. She's a great. She was a great thing. <coughs> Paul and um, Paul and the other guy's uh, sister, and she would go in there, and of course she'd be allow one of the bloody prisoners to come in and get to, to into the um, into the dressing room and cop a feel or something, or she'd give them a little bit of a grunt. Wow. Jesus, that was a, they love that. Well, they got more. They got more chairs than anybody. You know, the woman's match. Vivian for sure. Vivian for sure. Vivian for sure. And hey, hey, yeah, Butch. What a hey, Butch. And you got to admit, yes. you you weren't you weren't an angel either. Who? What did you do to Clinton? At oh, the White House. Oh yeah, we went to. Uh, yeah, this is all this stuff I'm talking about, guys, is all in the book. So you can imagine what the book's full of. It's, uh, it's just unreal, some of the stuff we got up to. But um, and, and I'm only, if Luke was here, he would remind me and I'd remind him. And then we feed off each other. And that's how we can bring the memory back. It's very hard to bring the memory back uh, 30 years ago, uh, 40 years ago. When I'm sitting here like this, just by myself, even though, even with John, but um, yeah, we we every uh, Easter, the WWE used to send uh, one of its talent or talent to the White House for the kids' Easter egg hunt. So this particular day, the Clintons were in in power, if that's what you call it, and. Um, we went to the White House to uh, entertain the kids. The next minute, the security guard comes out of the White House, and we're just outside, uh, and he comes out with this cat on a leash, and he walks the cat out with a leash and that, and I take one look at this cat, and I said to the guy, oh, whose cat's that? And I said, oh, that's uh, the Clinton's cat. You know, and I said, oh, do you mind if I pick it up? And they said, no, no, you can pick it up. And I love animals anyway. I've got a thing with animals. I just love animals. So I pick up this bloody cat. Security guards let me. Well, I gave this cat a big lick from right from its mouth, right up over its ears, <laughs> right around over its head. I gave it the licking of its life. I'm not kidding you. Well. That was in the magazines, in the papers, everything. Bushwhacker Butch licks Clinton's pussy. That's how it was um, That's how it was said. And it was just so funny. And then, and then you say, what as George Steinbrenner and uh, that guy used to have his own show in the mornings. Uh, he used to have his own show every morning for years and years and years. We were on his show as well. 
question for you butch we've seen luke we've seen luke in the ring very recently uh what are you doing these days um i'm i'm uh completely retired as you can, as you can imagine and my good wife uh my good wife is uh looking after me uh, as good as possible and it's nice to um it's nice to uh be home with a family because that was very hard for me on the road was I was married with two lovely girls uh, and uh, 
There was no cell phones in those days. The whole time we were the sheep herders, there was no cell phones. And uh, it was very, very hard to get to a hotel to get the right time. Because right now in New Zealand here, it's 12, it's 18 minutes past midday on the 1st of April. So, you know, and then the time changes that you would have going around the world and catching my family on the right time when they were home and not at school or work or anything, was so very, very hard. So I unfortunately lost my wife uh, through that. And, um, and my second wife, Julie, who I was married to nearly the whole time I was a bushwhacker, I had to thank her for all she had to put up with because she'd only seen me. Uh, three to four days a month, I'd be on the road the rest of the time, you know. Luke and I would be together all the time. We stayed in the same hotels at the start. We stayed in the same rooms. We drove in the same car. We wrestled in the same matches, blah, blah. And you've got to be uh, have a special bond with somebody to do that. Not only to, to do what Luke and I did, but to also do what my first wife and my second wife did and keep it going. And I said in the book, and I'll say it again, and, and my current wife, um, I, I nearly forgot her name. Uh, hello, Alan. <laughs> it's Alan. Anyway, <laughs> she knows me, thank God. <laughs> I introduce her as my future ex-wife. And she does not like it. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Butch. Butch, get, just for clarification, you said it's April 1st. As I, was, as I was saying, sorry, as I was saying about my wives, I said in the book, I still love the whole three of my wives, but I'm only in love with my current wife. How can I not love the woman that gave me two beautiful daughters, and they're still the most beautiful people in the world. How can I not love my second wife that put up with so much shit and got me through all that wrestling and WWE and injuries and nursed me? And how can I not say that I uh, that I appreciate my wife now who looks after me and, and everything else? And I'm just so thankful that in my life, I've been, I've had three of the most beautiful women that I could ever imagine. And they are all very similar in their ways. They can be bitches at times. No, he's joking. No, joking. They're lovely. <laughs> no, they're lovely. I'm so lucky. Luckily, there's no one on it. Listen to Hey, Butch, I did want to clarify. I don't want you to get confused. You said it was April 1st there. It's September 1st. You said it was April 1st a minute ago. It's it's September 1st. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want you. I didn't want you to get out and miss any meetings or anything like that. A couple months difference doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Guys, the uh, 
the right. book is uh, Blood, Sweat, and Cheers by John Crowther. Um, if this is just a taste of uh, what's in the book, then, guys, uh, if you're a wrestling Quiet. fan, if you're a teeny. fan of the Sheep Herders. Teeny. Butch says it's teeny. Yeah. So uh, just imagine what else is in there. Um, John, is there anything else uh, wrestling related or anything else for that matter that you're working on at the moment? Well, right now I'm focusing, uh, obviously on the bushwhackers. I will say, yeah, like, like Butch said, this is just a teeny taste of what you'll find in that book. Uh, just, you can imagine for over a year, I was having these conversations, uh, with both, both Butch and Luke. There are stories in there that fans have never heard before. Um, they don't hold punches. It, they really throw a lot out there, a lot of humor, uh, a lot of really heart-touching stories, um, a lot of good wrestling stories, a lot of good history stories. So I think fans will really enjoy it. Um, I, I guess I'll drop it here. Here's a little surprise. I haven't discussed this uh, with anyone other than the people involved. I've currently got about 40 guys signed up, and what's going to follow uh, the Bushwhackers book is a little title I like to call the pro wrestling cookbook from body slams to frying pans. And we've got uh, about 40 wrestlers from WWE, WCW, NWA, AEW, uh, New Japan, Glow Wrestling, all involved in this with their favorite recipes. They've either got them from their mamas or from the road or from their grandmas. It's going to be a really cool book, kind of in the style of that WWE encyclopedia. Uh, and I think fans are going to love it. So look for that around this time next year. Take my money now, John. Take it now. <laughs> I'm to eat. <laughs> guys, this thank, is amazing. Thank you, guys. Sorry. Thank you, Butch. I'm sorry we had the drop with the voice, but thank hey, you very much, there. guys. I look forward to your reading it so you can tell us what it's like. Right. Thank you. For sure. All right. That was awesome, John. Um, <laughs> Let me end this so we can chat for a minute.